Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. You know, for the last two weeks, or a few weeks actually, uh, we've been in a journey discovering seven tenets of our faith that make our gospel really good news. The beautiful gospel is what we've been calling this series. And each week we've been piecing together puzzles that, or pieces of a puzzle that form a coherent system of our belief and our faith and why we believe the message of Jesus is so good and it's good news for all of us. So some of the pieces we've looked at so far, first, the the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. Jesus is the center of our faith, not just a book. He is the the Word made incarnate, the Word made flesh. And that Jesus has disarmed the powers and authorities, taking the world of our sins upon himself and responding with forgiveness, thereby ending the cycle of sin and evil and death. And that Jesus has defeated death through his resurrection and given us the first signs of his new creation. Then we talked about the sacraments, how we've been given symbols, actions that help us reenact the story of our own redemption, that communion and baptism are ways, conduits of God's presence into our lives, ways that allow us to help, that help us live in to a life following Jesus. In the last week, we talked about how this whole story that we're living here on earth, it will come to an end. How it will come to its conclusion that we're reminded that God is in the business of renewing and redeeming and retelling our stories. He delights in bringing all things together in unity under Christ. So this morning, what we'd like to take a look at is how God's actually accomplishing that renewing, that redemption of creation that's going on around us that we read in Scripture. How is that actually happening? And so we'll discover that restoration is taking place both in us and around us all the time as each of us lean into the act of new creation being formed and lived out through us we'll see that new creation actually begins with you and me. So as we continue, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for this beautiful morning, for this opportunity to gather together. Lord, to fellowship, to share the love that you've placed in each of us with one another. But God, especially to be able to worship and honor you and glorify you by lifting our voices in prayer and singing these songs and hearing your scripture. And of course, Lord, as we gather around this table at the end of our service, Lord, to reflect upon the work that you've done in and through us through Christ and his sacrifice and resurrection. And Lord, we pray, almighty God, you have created us, called us, chosen us to be your people. 
We wait now to receive your word of guidance and blessing. Grant upon us ears to hear and eyes to see and faith to respond to your love and leadership. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. Amen. So preaching is a bit of an odd thing, and it it can be a little bit uncomfortable for those of us up here. (laughs) I mean, you really get a sense, you're going to get a sense of kind of who I am, the kind of things that are important to me, and, you know, the way the scripture inspires me might be slightly different than the way it inspires you, but nevertheless, quirks, ticks, whatever it is, we get to know each other here. So um, I guess I think we should just lean into that. So... What better way to do that than to take a peek at my YouTube viewing history? Sound good? <laughs> let's, just, uh, let's just check this out. So, I, Jay, you've got that. Why don't you play my YouTube history here? <laughs> yeah, quite a shock, I know. <laughs> um, you know, I have a fascination with videos like this. Yeah, you know, more than once, I found myself on the tail end of like a two or three hour dive into things being restored from a rusty old forgotten state into a sparkling new shiny vision of what they once were. (laughs) And I've sped this up for us quite a bit, but this video is like 30 minutes long. And there are hundreds of videos like this. And like, there's four million views on this video. (laughs) Why? We're gonna find out. (laughs) You know, there's there's no music, there's no gimmick here. It's just somebody slowly working, cleaning, brushing, scraping, working slowly but steadily, bringing something back to life. Oftentimes better than new. You know, I've tried to discern why I'm so deeply moved by videos like this. You know, our news cycle and popular entertainment would try to tell us that people are much more drawn to stories of tragedy or ruin. It's like the wreck on the side of the road. No matter how minor, we create traffic jams just so that we can get our own glimpse as we drive by. But is that who we truly are? At our core, aren't we looking for a bit of hope? The, the news, at least, the last time I watched it, has, has kind of figured this out. They always put that feel-good story at the end of the, of the news broadcast, the story about the puppies or the neighbor who goes out of their way to help somebody, and they tease you along, making you watch all the other stories just for the glimpse of that at the end. You know, I'd propose that humanity, deep within our DNA, that we're wired for redemption. That we're all born into this world with a spark of God's very nature within us, thrumming inside. And theologians would call this the Imago Dei, or the image of God. That is to say that each person on earth is an image bearer of our creator. That circumstances, surrounding influences, perhaps sin, they've concealed or distorted that image, but it's never fully extinguished. Maybe I'm just an optimist, but I believe that scripture makes a solid case that no one 
is too far gone from God's redemption. You know, this view would say that mankind is always within reach of transformation, redemption at any moment. And I submit to you that at our core, we're more satisfied by stories like this one that we've been watching unfold than we are by the carnage of the wreck. So we're going to pursue this this morning. We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, so I'd invite you to turn there. You can pull that up on your devices. It'll be on the screens here for you as well. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 14. Let's read. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God who reconciled who was, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sin against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So there's a few things going on in this passage that we need to make ourselves aware of that will kind of help shed some light or some clarity on what it is that Paul's saying here. So of course, the Apostle Paul, who's writing this message, it's important to remind ourselves who he was. Paul was a first century Jew living at the time of Christ in the first century church. However, Paul was not initially a follower of Christ. As a matter of fact, Paul was one of those Jews who staunchly believed that Jesus could not possibly be the Messiah that Scripture pointed towards. And therefore, he sought out Jewish Christians and condemned them for their heretical views. He pursued them. He imprisoned them. He even sentenced them to death. You see, Paul and the other Jews like him believed that the Scriptures promised a Messiah was to be born unto Israel in order to become the savior of God's chosen people. And that sounds great. That's, that's, that's good news. Until we start kind of looking into the things that Paul and the other Jews like him thought that the Messiah would be doing. The, the Jews viewed themselves not only as a cultural people group, but as a sovereign nation set apart by God. From the very beginning, we can read in Genesis and Exodus that the Jews were a people who were almost always at conflict with the nations around them. They were a people without a home, without land, without freedom or autonomy in many times of their history. So then skipping forward, these Jewish people here in the first century, 
in the nation of Israel and its holy city of Jerusalem, they found themselves under Roman occupation. So once again, the Jews were strangers in their own land. And therefore, it was actually really understandable how when the prophets in the Old Testament spoke of a coming Messiah that would bring freedom to the Jewish people, releasing the captives and restoring God's people to and his creation, that the assumption being made was that this work would be spiritual, yes, but also physical, also political, bringing about literal freedom from the Roman government and all the other national powers who would threaten the Jewish people. They expected the Messiah to be a political and militaristic savior, wearing the mantle of God's divine power and blessing. And then Jesus is born. God is made incarnate through the baby Jesus. And his life looked much different (laughs) than many of the Jews had anticipated. Not only did he shun all the efforts of the Jewish leaders to establish him as a political leader, but he taught a message of peace and nonviolence and submission to earthly authorities, promising that true freedom was to be found in the heart, the heart reconciled to God and his love, and in the life led, lived in service to others. Most Jews simply couldn't accept this kind of message, this Messiah. They believed that Jesus and his followers were clearly not what God had promised. And that actually they were a threat to the Jewish people. Even accusing them of being in league with the devil. There were times when Jesus and the miracles he was performing was accused to be doing those miracles under the power of the devil. So we fast forward a little bit Now to Paul's personal story. You know, of course we know that Paul was seeking out these Jews and condemning them to death. And one day he's traveling on the road to Damascus, a town in the area, and he had heard that there were some followers of Jesus there. And so he's he's going, and he's got warrants for their arrest. But as he's drawing near to the city, something miraculous happens. Acts chapter 9, verse 3 says, Suddenly a light from heaven flashed all around them. And Paul, Saul, fell to the ground and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He asked, Who are you, Lord? The reply came, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. So the men who were traveling with Saul, they stood speechless because they heard the voice, but they saw no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. So they led him into the city by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight, and he neither neither ate nor drank. So meanwhile, God is doing this miracle on the, on the road into Emmaus. And meanwhile, he's also speaking to this follower of Christ who lives in Damascus named Ananias. And he tells Ananias, hey, I've got this guy I need you to go see. Um, his name is Saul. And Ananias is like, 
no thanks. <laughs> I know that guy, and he's going to kill me, so there's no way I'm going to go do that. Uh, this is a paraphrase, and God was like, dude, go, go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before the Gentiles and the kings and before the people of Israel. I will show myself to him, and I will show how much he must suffer for my sake in my name. So Ananias went and entered the house, and he laid hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the way here, has sent me that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell off of his eyes, and his sight was restored, and he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength, and for several days he was with the disciples in Damascus. And immediately he began proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues, saying, He is the Son of God. So this recap may be a review for some of us, but I think it's just so astounding, isn't it? How God can take us from speaking curses and murdering those who follow Christ to in a period of three or four days, 180 degrees. You know, it gives us more of a sense of what Paul in this passage in Corinthians is telling the Corinthian church and kind of explaining, hey, I know I was once like this, but now I'm thinking this way. When Paul says that he and the other Jews like him view Jesus from a human point of view, uh, they're referring to this political warrior Messiah that the Jews were waiting upon expectantly. And Jesus reveals himself to Paul on the Damascus Road. Paul's whole thought system, his whole theology is turned upside down. And he has to start asking himself if, if Jesus was indeed the promised Messiah and all that he taught and achieved on the cross and through his resurrection was true, then holy cow, that changes everything. So Paul has had to reconstruct his system of thought. Looking back at the verses in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 14, he says, when Christ died, all humanity died with him because Christ's sacrifice, taking on humanity's sin upon himself, fundamentally rewrote the book of the sin problem. And then when we look in verse 16, he says, Christ has rewritten how we must view one another. No longer could certain people be categorized as out while others were categorized as in. Christ put an end to that. In Christ, neither, there's neither Jew nor Greek, young nor old, male nor female. There's simply humanity. And God is earnestly desiring to pour out his love and forgiveness and renewing power on all of us. And so Paul's building a case for this paradigm shift that he's undergone and that, the, and that all followers who follow Christ or all believers who follow Christ must also undergo. And this leads us up to verse 17, which is kind of the, the crux of this this section and an area where I'd like to spend a little time. So in verse 17 it says, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. 
The old has gone and the new is here. You know, I would like to spend some time here because this ties us back into the way we started this, this message this morning. Considering the idea that all humanity is an image bearer of Christ and that no matter how rusted over or dusty we may, we may be, that our very DNA is that of our creator and that God's desiring to restore us so now I, I didn't graduate from seminary, and unlike Andy, I have very little exposure to Greek word studies. But there's some really good resources out there, so let's give this a shot. <laughs> you know, there's these two words in this section that say new creation, so we want to investigate what, what's being said here. The Greek word new is kahinos in, in the Greek. And what it's referring to here is new in regard to form and quality rather than a reference in time. So Paul's not referring to a stopping point and a starting point for humanity. He's talking about a transformation or perhaps more accurately, a revelation that takes place in us. So when Paul is talking about new, he's implying that what is being revealed in those in Christ is the fulfillment of an original design. And the Greek word for creation is katesis. And in this text, it means an act of creation. It's a progression. It's a step. Something's happening, not just being given. So stay with me here. This is really good because here's another way to read 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new act of creation happening. When each person re-enters a loving relationship with God, a new act of creation is taking place. So God is recreating the world in his image one person at a time. So as each of us, myself, you, your loved ones, your friends, as we each find new life in Christ, we are each participating in God's design to restore his creation. You know, Andy spoke so well on this last week when we talked about how what takes place at the end should really match up with what we believe Christ is saying. You know, and if we believe that God is in the redemption business, then it would only make sense that not only is he redeeming our hearts, but he's redeeming all that he's created. Rather than shrouding it over, uh, shrouding over the inherent corruption that might pre-exist in creation, he's clearing away the dust and the grime that has settled. And bit by bit, he's blowing off the ashes Revealing something beautiful. As we continue looking at this section of Scripture, verses 18 and 19 remind us that God's solution for all that ails us is not to demolish what currently exists and take us away from it or start over afresh. You know, of course, the Old Testament, He promised that He wouldn't do that. He has a plan of reconciliation, and it begins with us but it shouldn't end with us. 
Verse 20 says, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So not only does God have a truly beautiful plan for restoring all of humanity and all of creation back to its original design, not only does that plan include you personally in your heart or me, but it includes all mankind. And he's inviting us. He implores us. He empowers us to be a part of that story. Like Paul, he invites us to see the world with new eyes. Can you imagine what that must have been like for Paul when the scales fell off of his eyes and he was able to fellowship with those very people that he had come there to persecute, to arrest. And now he's spending days praying and seeing them in new eyes. I, I, I can just imagine, you know, he probably didn't get much sleep <laughs> as he's trying to rethink everything. So he invites us to see the world and see those around us with new eyes. To dream about how each of our spheres of influence might be redeemed and reimagined as God sees them. So we've kind of talked a lot about a lot of things. So I'm going to just real quickly recap what we've said here. We've said that humankind, that we're image bearers of the creator. The very creative spark, the image of God lives within each of us. But that creation and humanity has a dilemma, that sin and ruin do exist in the world. And so therefore something's broken and it needs fixing. We need help to shift the balance and empowering for restoration. So God promised a Messiah, the one that would put all things to right. And when Jesus came, what God was up to looked much different than those who were looking for him. But God opened our eyes to see Christ and to see humanity in a new way. And Paul, one of these very people, then became one of God's most successful champions in demonstrating what God was doing. And because Jesus proved us wrong, the way we thought about the Messiah, because he rewrote the narrative of sin, of the sin problem through the cross and the resurrection, we must therefore view humanity and creation in a new way, beautiful, worthy, and in need of restoration. Now, God could have just come in and taken care of this problem himself, but instead he chose to use each of us to be a part of the solution, that he called us to be his agents of redemption and reconciliation. So now at this point, if, if this is really kind of sinking in, I imagine you're in one of two camps. You're probably either feeling super uncomfortable or you're probably feeling pretty excited. <laughs> you know, you might be thinking like, yeah, coach, put me in. Give me the ball. I'm ready to go. Or you might be trying to sink back into the shadows and hope nobody sees you and doesn't pass you the ball. Because really what God's calling for here is that we each, in the things that we do, the relationships that we have, the relationships that we seek out, that we each are participating in God's plan for bringing redemption to the world. 
So let me just say two things. First, it's true. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit is really counting on you to take an active role in bringing his kingdom restoration to our world. And second, I'd say it's not as bad as it sounds. It's not as scary as it sounds. So remember back to where we started this morning watching that video and reminding ourselves that we carry God's image, his creative spark in each of us. As we are restored back to our original design through Christ Jesus, as we begin living as new creations in Jesus through the Holy Spirit, the inevitable outcome is that our life starts to change. It might first change like in your private space, but then it should also start changing in your public space. And that when God begins stirring in our hearts all the many ways that things could be better, he begins awakening something in us. He begins awakening our own creative imaginations, the prophetic imagination that Andy taught on last year. And the way that is lived out and the way that works in me is going to be much different than the way it's lived out and worked in you. And that's great. What Paul's saying is that we can look at all humanity and celebrate what it is that God's doing in them. You know, the kind of things that um, break my heart or move my heart will be different than the way God moves your heart or breaks your heart. You know, maybe it's we begin by noticing people that we might not have ever noticed before. Maybe we begin empathizing with their pain or their hurt in a way that we hadn't expected. Maybe God gives us the opportunity to actually interact with someone new, wrapping an arm of love around them, or perhaps even more significant, beginning to make personal sacrifices as God helps in their redemption story, whether it's through our time or our talent or our money, helping someone in need in tangible ways. The truth is that when God begins transforming you from the inside out, the result's a beautiful thing. And it begins inspiring you in ways that you can be a part of this new creation. We've been each gifted and inclined in different ways. So when God wakens our prophetic imagination in so many ways, and our goal should be to embrace what he's doing and walking arm in arm together as we do this work. It may be a conversation It may be actually overhearing a conversation and then helping steer it in a better direction. It may be creating something beautiful and therefore, thereby living into his creative nature. We have artists in here and writers and musicians and engineers and craftsmen. The work of our hands is bringing about new creation. Maybe it's planting a garden, redeeming that broken soil in your backyard. (laughs) Maybe it's shifting your diet. Maybe it's taking a new job. Maybe it's going back to an old job that you left for the wrong reasons. 
You know, maybe it's moving to a new city or a new country. Maybe it's a simple smile or a word spoken to a stranger. Maybe it's paying for the coffee in the car behind you. Maybe it's forgiving somebody who's really hurt you. Perhaps it's praying for someone who really should have known better. Perhaps it's standing up for the marginalized, someone who in our society doesn't get the same chances or opportunities as the rest of us. Maybe it's actually sharing a miracle or something that God has been doing in your heart with someone when they say, hey, how are you this morning? You know, in a million big and little ways, God is making all things new. And he's using you and me to make it happen. So may we say, yes, Lord, here am I, send me. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much for your word. And God, as we've explored in a really kind of 10,000 foot view, your plan of reconciliation for all creation. God, first we just have to admit that we're in awe of you. Lord, we're so grateful that God, not only have you created us and created this beautiful world, but Lord, that you created us with your image and with your spark of life living in us. And that God, although sin has entered this world, that you've given us an opportunity through Christ and his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection and his victory over sin and death to be justified to you, to be brought back into right relationship with you. And Lord, then, as that new creation takes place in our hearts, to become one who is partnering with you, brought into your family, and working to see all things made new again. And God, in this moment, if there's any in this room who, Lord, may not recognize that work taking place in their hearts, God, we just take this opportunity, this space, to respond to you personally. And to say, Lord, afraid that, Lord, you'd ask me to do something that I don't want to do. I've been afraid that if I said, here I am, Lord, send me, that you might send me somewhere I don't want to go. (laughs) But God, if by your recreating me, rebuilding me, restoring me from the inside out, Lord, I confess that, Lord, you know better than I do what's good. Lord, give us courage to step as you lead, to follow as you guide. God, as we recognize so many ways, maybe even in our own households, in our relationships, in our workplaces, in our communities, all the ways, Lord, that, Lord, we just recognize your love needs to come because things just aren't right.
God, we ask that you would bring your kingdom, you would bring your new creation, and that it would be brought through each of us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.